On today's episode of the Talent Cast, I take a page out of the one and only Steve Martin's book, and we get small. Real small. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at the War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey everybody, James Ellis here. Uh, howdy. So uh, just housekeeping, I put a had a really interesting article uh, published by Talent Economy. I'll put that in the show notes about the 12 different ways your employer brand is born and communicated. It's something I came up with like in February and I've been sitting on it and trying to think about and beating it up internally and saying, does this make any sense to me? Does this Is this complete? Is this honest? Is this real? And it finally made sense to me and I finally got it to get published and I think it's I think it's a thing. So, you know, just putting that out there. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's cool stuff. Uh, and I'll probably end up talking more about it uh, in the coming uh, couple episodes. Because apparently with a Monday morning schedule this year, I am supposed to be publishing this podcast on both Christmas Day and New Year's Day. A thing my wife just looks at me and shakes her head at. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to figure out. I'm going to I need to publish something, but I, I don't know what I'm going to publish yet. So I'm going to keep it. I'm looking for some alternative ways, maybe some recaps or something like that. So, but we'll be keep, we'll be publishing and we'll definitely be ready to go strong starting January. Uh, I know you're worried. I know that's that's keeping you up at night. Lord knows it's keeping me up. Anyway, small is the new big. So, uh, I don't talk about my day job much, and there's reasons for that. It's because my day job has these things called lawyers, and since I have not cleared uh, what I say with them, they don't like it when I talk about them, and that's fair. <laughs> uh, but I, I just want to point out, so I'm, I'm doing, you know, it's end of year stuff, right? You know, it's budget stuff and it's metric stuff and it's goal stuff and it's, you know, how well, you know, did I do my job this year? And while I've only been there eight months, eight and a half months, um, you still, you know, you set some goals, you know, things you want to achieve and things you want to accomplish. And then at the end of the year, you look back and say, how close did you come, right? That's, that's you know, that is both fun, exciting, and terrifying and horrible. Uh, I always love it when uh, my favorite writers uh, put together their predictions for the year and they do this the right thing and come back to them in December and January and say, how good were my predictions last year? Let's let's be accountable for our predictions and our goals. And I always found that very fascinating. And no one ever hits 100%. That's not how it works. That's not life. Um, let's be fair. A year ago, no one knew where we were going to land. Uh, it's been a crazy rocket ship of a year in every direction for everyone I know. Um, but I'm going to talk about goals. And the goals I came up with, because I'm me, and I'm guessing these sound familiar, are big. They're big goals. Establish a brand new employer brand or uh, completely change the conversation around X. Or they're big goals, right? You come up with a you know, huge shift in Glassdoor numbers or 
um, changing the process by which recruiters reach out to people and engage with people. Complete Have a complete sea change of strategy around your recruiting process, your recruiting marketing process, your employer brand process. Everybody comes up with big goals. Why? And I think that's that's a human thing to do, right? It's very audacious. We want to know that we're doing a good job and you know that you're doing a good job when you can feel something tangible change. Long time ago, back when I ran a team of, uh, at the time it was like seven and as it grew to the point of 19, um, you know, we would have quarterly offsites, business reviews, right? We would go off and for a couple of hours and we'd look at what did we do right? What did we do wrong? And what are we planning on doing the next quarter and the next year? How do we move forward? And after we did four of them, you know, and you have that moment where you're just kind of looking at the ground and you're making sure the, you know, your foot goes in the right spot, that your footfalls make sense. And you're looking at one foot after the other and after the other and after the other and after the other and after the other. And you're just, you're just focused on making sure that you're making the right moves forward. And this was an opportunity for me, because I'm not good at this, to turn around and say, how far have we come? And what I did is I wrote down every um, accomplishment or event or milestone that we had hit in the year. Uh, you know, people hired, people leaving, uh, clients coming in, size of client coming in, kind of work we launched, new tools that we implemented, new processes that we implemented. And I wrote them all down, one on a sheet of paper each. And I shuffled them up and I handed them to the team and I said, okay, here's the deal. The door is one year ago when I started this team and the front of the room is today. Put these in order of when things happen. And let's, you know, it was, it was kind of a team building exercise and people said, you know, I wasn't here for some of these things and they didn't realize that some of the changes that were made that they walked into, those changes happened like a month before they walked in the door. What felt like to them was it's always been this way. They started to realize how brand new, how fresh these ideas were and how fresh these implementa implemented processes were. And it really hit me watching them put these things in place, how many things we had changed, right? A year is a, a huge change of a year. And trust me, this was a huge change for that team. We, like I said, we went from seven to, at the time, I think it was uh, 15 people. Uh, we, huge change in client structure, huge change in processes, uh, brand new tools implemented, brand new everything. It was, you know, it was a gut job and a rebuild job. And as you were putting one step in front of the other, making sure you didn't do anything stupid, it wasn't until you turned around and saw how far you had come. And that to me was kind of a, uh, an aha moment for me because I'm just not good at reviewing what I did well. You know, I just want to move on to the next thing. And so reviewing goals like this is the same thing. I get a chance to say, like, I had massive goals. How did I do? I didn't feel that in the eight, eight and a half months I've been doing this gig had I achieved these massive goals. And I have and I haven't. They're just not obvious to me because, again, I'm focused on one foot in front of the other. And it, then it hit me. I had my, my current aha moment, which was that's what we should be focusing on. It's not about announcing to my boss or you announcing to your boss, here's the next big goal. We're going to do a thing. You know in your head that's where you're headed, but you can't possibly know how long it takes to get there, right? A big goal can sometimes happen fast. A big goal can sometimes take three to 10 times longer than you think it is. Uh, I used to work in state government. They used to say the jokingly, and, and by joking, I mean, I mean completely truthfully, say, however long you think it should take, double the number and add the increment. So if you think 
it should take two weeks, it'll take four months. If you think it'll take two days, it'll take four weeks. Everything takes so much longer than you think it should. Everything goes wrong. Everything's complicated. And while I don't think that exact same methodology of, of math and the conversion works in the same, you know, in my current business or other, maybe perhaps your business, it still always seems to take a lot longer. There's always something, a wrench in the works, a spanner in the works, uh, a, a wrinkle that you have to deal with or what have you. So having and announcing these big goals feels right. But since you can't control how long it takes to get to these goals, and since you can't always see the path in front of you, you can't always see every single step along the path, or maybe you have a sketch of a path, or maybe you have a sense of a path, or maybe you have a sense of where Magnetic North is, and you know if you follow this path along far enough, you'll eventually get to where you want to go. Your goals should not be big. Your goals should be small. Right? Maybe Instead of thinking about how do we hit home runs, we think about how do we make sure that every time we're at bat, we connect to the ball. We hit it. Even if it's a foul ball, even if it's fly ball out, and I'm now reaching the limits of my baseball knowledge, um, you're at least doing the thing that creates the action you want. Right? The goal might be big, but you don't have to announce it. That's in your head. That's in your intention. That's your ultimate outcome. And it may take twice and ten times longer than you think it should, and you don't want to be held to these goals. If you say I'm going to, you know, your your 2018 goals is to have a is is to add a an integer to your glass door score to go from a 2.8 to a 3.8 or from a 3.1 to a 4.1, that is a huge huge project unless you're a four-person company. It's a huge project. All the moving pieces and all the players and all the the people that need to be involved and all the the processes and things you do to come up with the plan and communicate the plan and market the plan and encourage the plan and incentivize the plan and measure the plan. All the stuff that has to go into it, any given one of those is a separate project unto itself and every single one of them has its own separate spanners or wrenches in the works and it's messy. However, if you say your goal is to every week you do X, every week you review your glass door scores you look for co- opportunities to make something better you communicate out to the to a certain team that you really want them to put a review out that you want their feedback and you want it to happen publicly and that's how much you care about and you do it on a very retail level where you send a personal email not the the mass email to everybody over time and maybe it's a week and maybe it's a month and maybe it's a decade you will see a huge change Think of it like exercise, uh, you know, not to invoke the Simon, you know, Simon Sinek um, model of you don't go to the, you know, if you want to get fit, you don't go to the gym for 10 hours, you go to the gym half an hour a day, every other day or twice a week for, for a year. You don't try and do it all at once because you can't, you, it, it's a perpetual step-by-step repetitive motion kind of thing. And if you really think about a brand as somebody said it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to botch it, but I'm going gonna, to have to commit this to memory because it hit me so hard. It was like, yes, that's exactly what I've been trying to say, said so much better in a metaphor that people actually remember, and that is a, a brand is not built from the shelf. It's like a bird. It's like a bird's nest. It's built from the stuff lying around. Meaning, your employer brand is not what your commercials say it is, which by the way, if you have commercials, kudos to you, but most of us don't. It's not what you say it is. It's not what your executive committee says it is. It's what someone perceives it based on the things they see laying around, from the tweets and the interactions and the consumer interactions and what the recruiter does and what the hiring manager does and what the social media says and what the job description is written like and, 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 and. Your, that 
person's perception of your employer brand is crafted by the things laying around. So if you, much like myself, want to make a huge change in your employer brand, how do you do that? In a world where your birds are just picking up whatever's laying around and building nests out of it, you can't say, by the way, I'm changing the way nests are because you can't change those people. You can't change how those birds work, right? I'm going to extend this metaphor far beyond its, been, its natural bounds. It's going to get scary. Hold on, kids. Um, you, if you want to change the nest, the shape of the nest, how do you do it? You start by changing the things that are laying around. If a bird is in a forest, it's naturally going to pick up dead leaves and twigs and grasses because that's what's in a forest. If a bird is making a nest here in Chicago, it's going to use bits of trash. It's going to use some sticks. It's going to use uh, straws that it finds from coffee cups, coffee stirs. It's going to use what it finds laying around. So if you want to change your employer brand, you have to change what's laying around. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who've done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. Okay, you bought into that, I'm hoping, because I think it makes pretty good sense to me anyway. How? Isn't that a massive project? turn a forest into Chicago or a Chicago into a forest? If, you, if you're, your bird is in Chicago and it's using coffee stirs, how do you make sure it's only using grass and straw? You have to get rid of all the coffee stirs and you have to replace it with grass and straw. And that's not something you do in a day. It's not something you legislate. It's not something you mandate. It's not something you announce. You do it by picking up the straws. You do it by picking up the, the coffee stirs. Or you get systemic and you say, why would a straw or a coffee stirrer be out in the street? Hmm, maybe it's because when people drink their drink, there isn't a trash can nearby. What if we put better trash cans near the, the place where you put your cream and sugar and your coffee or when you're getting your soda or whatever, and you had a better trash can, something more attractive, something more inclined to capture the trash, thus keeping it out of the streets? Thus, when the birds can't find straws, and if the bird's going to make a nest out of what it finds laying around, it's more inclined to find other things like twigs and straws, or uh, grass, right? That's how you're making an employer brand. You don't think big, you think small. You think, if the world thinks my company is boring, and it thinks that based on all the interactions it has, the things the bird finds laying around, what do I do? You don't make a splashy new commercial and say, ta-da, we're not boring. Because that's just changing one piece. Suddenly you've, you know, you've, you've gone into, this, in the, into the forest and you've added some, some coffee stirs, and occasionally one or two of those coffee stirs will end up in nests. But in the end, since there's so many elements of grasses and sticks and twigs, birds' nests are still going to be made out of grasses and sticks and twigs. 
people are still going to think you're boring, no matter how splashy commercials. As much as I love that New Zealand Police Department commercial, it affects me and impacts me because I have exactly zero information about the New Zealand Police Department. For all I know, and I have no information, I'm making this up, for all I know, it's the most corrupt judicial system in the world, the most horrible and racist and non-inclusive, just the worst place in the world. But all I've seen is that commercial, which is funny and engaging and interesting, and so far I have a positive impression of the brand. If I was in New Zealand and they were a horrible police department and I saw the news about all the horrible things they were doing, that splashy commercial would affect me almost not at all. The brand is made by what you find lying around. And since I am in a place where the only thing connecting me to that brand is that commercial, the commercial shapes my brand. However, I'm never going to be a police officer and I'm never moving to New Zealand. More than likely. I mean, statistically unlikely. But if I was in New Zealand, I would have a lot more stuff by which to build the brand. And that's what shapes it. The commercial doesn't move the needle unless you have nothing else to go on. So if you're a brand that has exactly zero penetration and zero awareness, by all means, put all your money in a commercial or splashy campaign because you've got nothing else for which the bird to make that nest. To which I would say, you're telling me you also have no customers? You're telling me you've never been in the news? You're telling me people never use your products or services? You're telling me that your employees don't talk? You have no employees by which they, they who, who have friends? You have a lot of stuff floating around, especially to the people who you want to engage. I have no information about New Zealand because I'm never going to go to New Zealand, and consequently, I'm not a target audience for them. However, if you're a 25-year-old person who has a entry-level job and the New Zealand Police Department want to talk to you because they think the police department is a career path that you might engage with, chances are you know something about the New Zealand Police Department, right? Maybe a friend has been arrested. Maybe you've read the news. Maybe you've had a good interaction. Maybe they've stopped and helped you push your car down the street so you could get out of traffic. All that stuff is what the bird's picking up. It's what's laying around. So if you want to make a huge sea change in your employer brand, you start not by thinking big, but by thinking small. You think about all the small interactions that anybody might have with your brand and add it to their particular nest. Now, if you're a brand that's relatively well-known for an employer space, if you're an Uber, if you're a Google, if you're a Facebook, and maybe in your particular town, you're well-known. I think of uh, 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 SAS out in Raleigh, North Carolina, or Cary, North Carolina. Sorry, Raleighans. Um, or, you know, Oakley in, in Portland, or, you know, companies that are very well known in their particular region, you have a lot of stuff with which to make a nest. And your job as the person in charge of recruitment, marketing, employer brand is to figure out how do I slowly start swapping things out? You can't set a goal that says this year I radically changed the employer brand because what you really are saying is what I'm going to do is every day and every week and every month I have a process and I'm going to pull something back that I don't like and replace it with something I do. And over time, the nests will change. If you suddenly start to, if you build a dump next to a forest, over time, garbage starts to enter the nests and shape the nests. The fact that there's a preponderance of plastic bags available to those birds in the forest may change the shape of the nest they're making because it's not just twi twigs and sticks and, and grass. Suddenly there's plastics involved and petroleum products and what have you and styrofoam or whatever. That sounds sad, I know, but if, that's, if you're making the nest from what you have around you what you, and what you have around you changes, the nest changes. And if your goal is to change the nest, you can't tell everybody to change the nest. Your goal is to swap out the materials available. How's that sound?
All right, that's actually all I had to say. I think I'm going to think about this more. This it, this metaphor has it hit me literally two days ago. I was listening to one of the podcast. I'll put the a link in the notes um, about brand, and I was like, "This is yes," and it's caused me to think that this you know this whole small is the new uh, big kind of thing. That this is how we need to change things, especially in HR, especially in recruiting, when any kind of big idea is terrifying to management and terrifying to our bosses. On, maybe not your boss, maybe not my boss, but in general, big bosses do not like huge change because it's scary, right? There's the, the story of show me something innovative and then when you show them something, they say, great, now show me the five companies that's done it before and you have to say, what do you mean by innovative then? Um, bosses don't like big changes like that. It's, it's, it's too much uncertainty. So instead, you can make big, big, big changes by making small changes. You just have to be you have to be you have to be regular about it you have to be intentional about it you want to lose weight no way can you yes you can you can do the surgery or you can do the the thing where they suck the fat out of your body and yes you can lose 10 pounds in a day how well are you going to keep that off however if you say every day i'm going to stop eating sugar or every day i'm going to do exercise and you commit to that for a year where are you a year from now and how do you compare against the person who did the liposuction or did the, the lap band surgery or whatever? Where are you a year from now? If you make a big change versus make a lot of little small changes, who impacts greater? So that's all I had to say. Thanks so much for listening. As always, I appreciate your comments. I appreciate your uh, uh, tweeting and I appreciate your uh, you know, showing up and, and reviewing me and all that good stuff. I really do appreciate that. Like I said, for the next two before we get to the new, I already have a sense of what my first big one of the year is going to be. Uh, but between now and then, let's come up with some light, small topics. If you have some thoughts and you have some ideas of what I should talk about, I would love to hear it. I'm not kidding. Um, yeah, ping me. Tell me. Let me know. Uh, always happy to hear. Otherwise, you can always come find me. I've got three big events booked. I've got social recruiting conference, a social recruiting strategies conference uh, in February, first week of February. I've got ERE in April, and I've got recruit con, recruit con in May in Nashville. Come see me, or come see other, or not other, but you know, actual smart people. Um, I'm really hoping to some of these events actually do a live podcast recording. Um, it's just been kind of a thing that's been in my head, and I would love to figure out a way to do that. So come see me, come bug me, come talk to me on Twitter, come talk to me on LinkedIn. You know where to find me. Thanks so much for sharing the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'll see you next week. Bye. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.